Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliotti here again on another awesome Sunday night. And this is the Gift of Grace where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. Hope you've all had an awesome week. Last week, the program was from the book of Joel, chapter 2, and there's so many powerful concepts in this that we're going to do part two of that little study uh, today. And because we are in the season of Lent and we are looking forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, it's, I think, an important time to contemplate these things and to think very deeply about what this means, and at the center of everything is repentance. And this starts out at the very beginning of the New Testament, uh, which, um, well, the Gospels don't, well, Mark's Gospel starts there, but thinking about John the Baptist, now wasn't the very beginning of the New Testament, because of course, Jesus was already 30 years old on the accounts of these um, passages about John the Baptist. But when the new covenant is proclaimed, it's in the wilderness, and it's first proclaimed by John the Baptist. And his key proclamation is repent, repent and bear fruit, because bearing fruit is the proof of repentance, You know, Paul writes very clearly that we're saved unto good works. We're not saved by the works, but the works are important because we cooperate with our faith, we cooperate with grace, and then the good works that we're meant to do follow from that. But repentance is the way into the kingdom. You know, in the 21st century, we've developed, as someone said, I can't remember the who said the quote, but we've developed our Christianity without Christ. We've developed church without the Holy Spirit. And we've developed forgiveness without repentance. That God is love and everything just follows from that. And we've, we have millions and millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people that are deluded by these things in various ways. But John the Baptist said, repent. Jesus himself said, repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? He died for you. So you repent, come to the kingdom, and you will be saved. And so it's a powerful concept. And King David um, does a beautiful job of this when he writes Psalm 51. And if you've never read Psalm 51, this is a great time of year to read it. It's about David's anguish and repentance at what he's done, um, specifically with Bathsheba and Uriah, but kind of takes in his whole life as it should take in all of our lives, because all of our lives are a mess, whether you're King David or whether you're St. Peter, or whether you're St. Paul, or whoever you are, 
Paul said, of all the sinners, I'm the worst. So repentance is at the heart of this, and Joel, who is one of the minor prophets and is, uh, we're not going to reread the whole passage, but last week we found that he was talking about rending your heart and not your garment and return to the Lord because he's gracious and merciful. And then he will relent from doing the judgment. He will relent if you rend your heart and not your garments. And of course, if you study the Old Testament, the Tanakh, and I hope that you do, if you don't, you should start because it is the foundation of everything that we believe as Christians. It's the foundation of all knowledge and revelation. And it's the foundation of who is Jesus? Why did he come? What did he come to do? And how did he do it? And so I highly, 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 highly recommend at least reading through the books of Torah and reading some of the prophets and, of course, the Psalms. Well, since you're at it, just read the whole thing. <laughs> I have a YouTube channel called The Torah Class, The Torah Class, which is a 33-part study of the Torah that you can watch at your leisure. If you search for The Torah Class, you may have to scroll down and find uh, all dark red backgrounds for the for the slides that usually come up. But anyway... So the prophet Joel talked about if you repent, if you rend your heart, in other words, if you're cut so deep, you know, the writer to the Hebrews talks about how the word of God is like a sword that cuts through everything. And it, if you're cut to the heart, you know, when, when, um, when Peter preached on Pentecost morning, it said that the people who heard him were cut to the heart. In other words, they were so deeply affected that they have this profound change in their thinking. And I'm sure you've all experienced this at one time or another during your life. And so Joel says you turn to him. Now, as I, I got sidetracked from the Tanakh, the Old Testament, generally when people heard a serious sin, especially blasphemy, they would rip their clothes like the high priest did at Jesus's trial early morning of Good Friday. He accused him of blasphemy and ripped his robes. And you can find this through the Old Testament when there's a blasphemy. People rip their robes. And when people mourn and repent, they put ashes and dirt on their heads. And it's a very powerful sign. And you may have gotten ashes on Ash Wednesday, which uh, is a, an ancient Christian practice, but it's a, a very ancient symbol of repentance because it symbolizes the fact that we're made out of dirt. It symbolizes the fact that we will go back to being dirt at some point, unless Jesus comes back today. We will physically die and go into dust and dirt and ash. And I hope he does come back today, but if you die before he comes back, your body will decompose back to its original state until your glorified body is raised. 
But that's a that's a different program. So ashes were a long ancient symbol of repentance. So tonight we're going to start at verse 16 of Joel 2. Just a very slight overlap, but I want to make a couple of points. And then I want to spend a little more time on verse 17 and how especially it applies, not only at the time of Joel, but like everything else in the scripture, it applies to all times. And it has a powerful implication, I think, for our time, because we live in a time of spiritual chaos. And you have to remember when Paul, in most of his letters, foretells the time we're living in now, especially when he writes to the Thessalonians and when he writes to Timothy. But he tells Timothy that people, in the future, people will not endure sound doctrine. They'll gather teachers around them that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, they want to hear teachers that tell them what they want to hear. They don't want to hear about sin and repentance. They want to hear about easy grace. They want to hear about just let's all get together and have a nice time. Let's sing a nice song. Let's say a couple of prayers and let's hear an uplifting sermon that affirms my lifestyle and my sin and everything else. Then I can go on with the rest of my week. And Paul predicted this when he wrote to Timothy. We want what our itching ears want to hear. He also said, we'll believe every wind of doctrine. Whatever somebody says, we might fall for it. Paul warns the Galatians how soon, how soon you left the true gospel and went to another gospel, which is not a gospel at all. And since at our time the gospel has been hijacked, you can't find 10% of people that you talk to that actually know what the gospel is because everybody thinks the gospel is about being nice. And you should be nice, but that's not the gospel. So 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. So in other words, you blow a trumpet. We mentioned last week that this refers to a shofar. In general, when the Bible says trumpet, it's talking about shofars, the ram's horn. There are silver trumpets also that are um, discussed in Torah that are used for other purposes. But in general, the, the word trumpet comes from the word shofar which is a ram's horn. It can also come from some other animals. You can read about that in Exodus, or you can go to my Torah class that I mentioned. But anyway, so you blow the trumpet. The trumpet awakens people from spiritual sleep. This is the whole purpose of Rosh Hashanah. Everyone just looks at Rosh Hashanah as the Jewish New Year. If you live in a place where there is a significant Jewish population. Like I live in the Cleveland area, we have about 85,000 plus Jewish people that live in our area. You know when it's Rosh Hashanah, and you say, yes, it's Jewish New Year. Well, it's more than Jewish New Year. 
It's the Feast of Trumpets. And the point of the trumpet is to awaken you from your spiritual sleep. The shofar is blown so that you will take notice that something is going on. A shofar blast is, well, let's put it this way. You can't miss a shofar blast. It doesn't sound like anything else. It's very loud. It's very penetrating. It's not some soft little piece of music playing in the distance. If you're sound asleep and somebody next door blows a shofar, you will wake up. So it's meant to awaken people. So here Joel says, blow the trumpet. Get everyone together. And he says, call an assembly. In other words, you get people together. Call a fast. People get away from their usual, I'm going to sit here and eat and watch TV. I'm going to lay here and take a nap. I'm going to eat a big dinner. Then I'm going to have some drinks. And then I'm going to go home and lie down on the couch and fall asleep. The trumpet says, get out of that routine. Nothing wrong with that, depending how you do it. So don't send me emails. But um, you know what I'm talking about. That's not to be the routine here. Call a fast, call an assembly, and do it right now. The implication there from the Hebrew that's used is you do it right now. Just like when Abraham was called, God says, you go right now. You don't think about it for three or four weeks. You don't talk it over with all your neighbors and your friends. You don't go ask your family members what you should do. You do it right now. Don't waste time. And you get everyone together, old people, young people, newlyweds, children, babies, you bring everyone into the community because every, you know, the old saying, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. Everything is about community. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. All community, Paul talks about it in terms of the parts of the body all working together. Every part of the body of Christ works together for some purpose. So he says, call all these people. You don't leave anyone out. Everyone has to be involved. And there isn't anything that's more important than this. When many of us, well, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're older. <laughs> if you're a young person listening to this, that's awesome. But most of us can remember a time when on Sundays, everything was closed, everybody went to church, everybody went to some kind of a church. Nobody would have dreamed of having children's soccer games on Sunday morning, Little League baseball games on Sunday mornings, cheerleading practice on Sunday mornings, whatever it is, because Sunday was the day that nobody worked. Everyone went to church, everyone went home and ate dinner, and everybody visited, sat around, relaxed. And this, of course, is Torah. This, of course, is the idea of the Sabbath. Now, we're not going to get into Saturday and Sunday. I solved the problem by worshiping both days. 
most of the time, but you know what I'm talking about. And when they accused Jesus of not keeping the Sabbath, he said he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And he also points out to them that the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Having the Sabbath day, whether you observe Saturday or Sunday, is good for you. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. It's good for your church community, so to speak. It's good for your family community, so to speak. And so when God instituted the Sabbath, the Shabbat, he did it for our benefit. For our benefit. And so in this idea of blowing the trumpet and calling everybody together, it should be on Sunday or Saturday, but it should be every day. The community should always be involved. You say, well, I don't feel like going to the Bible study on Tuesday night because I work. I don't feel like going to the Bible study on Tuesday night because even though I'm retired, eh, you know, by seven o'clock, I'm kind of tired. I don't feel like going to the prayer meeting on Wednesday. I don't feel like going to this other thing at the church on Thursday. I go Sunday, what else do you want? Well, these are all things that call the community together, that strengthen bonds, strengthen faith, and give people the sense that we are in the kingdom. The kingdom is it's about us, but it's not about us. The kingdom is not about how tired we are or how many pills we take or the fact that your leg hurts or your back hurts or whatever it is or even a serious medical problem that you have. That's not what the kingdom is about. So Joel says you bring everyone to the assembly. So let's go to 17, verse 17, because this is good. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. So the priest who minister, now, Joel, of course, is talking about the Levitical priests. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood. He's talking about the priests that minister at the temple. Jesus talks about the porch and the altar in very vivid terms. And especially if you read Matthew chapter 23, you see this in very stark detail. But the command from God through the prophet Joel is the priests who are ministering there should weep. They shouldn't say the same routine prayers that they have written down in a book that they say over and over again. They should be weeping for what's going on. They should be they should be totally overwhelmed with the fact that their responsibility is to teach the people. Their responsibility is to bring people to the Lord. In a Christian setting, their responsibility is to bring people to Christ and to strengthen their relationship 
with him and to show them, to show everyone the kingdom, the body, the bride, and what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. The priests today, whether they're priests or ministers or pastors or messianic rabbis or whatever they are, have pretty much let the guard down. Nobody's weeping. And it's, it says here in this passage, a very important line, that the nations should rule over them. Well, at the time Joel writes this, the nations, of course, are the Gentiles. The term here is the goyim. But we're in a different situation now because we're in the new covenant and the goyim are part of the kingdom. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, so forth and so forth. The Gentiles are in the kingdom, as was prophesied by Isaiah, as happened through the Gospels, and as Paul points out beautifully in all of his letters. It's interesting that Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, the super-Pharisee, got this concept immediately. The Gentiles were included in the kingdom. It took Peter and John and those other guys a lot more time. They couldn't they didn't really get a grasp on that until quite some time had gone by. But regardless of that, and that's not what's important, the time that went by. But the idea is that at this time, the Gentiles were non-covenant, unclean people. So what Joel was saying is the priests are supposed to prevent the people from being like the non-covenant, unclean people. In our time, the church is trying to be like the non-covenant, unclean people. The church is trying to be like the rest of the world. They don't want to be set apart anymore. They don't have a voice anymore. They don't have a teaching authority anymore. They've surrendered all that. You hardly hear a peep out of all these horrible things that are happening all around us moral decay, and we're sinking into an abyss where even common sense and natural law is now refuted, you don't hear a peep. You don't hear priests weeping between the altar and the porch. They've surrendered. They don't care that literally pagan ideas have come in. They don't care that we're doing things that are absolutely abhorrent and repulsive and abominations to what's very well defined in the scriptures. They're not weeping. They don't mind the pagans that influence coming in. They don't mind people saying, well, where is their God? Because we've redefined our God and said, oh, well, he's love and he's nice and he likes everyone and he likes all this stuff. When that is not the fact of the matter. And so Joel says the priest should be weeping at this. God has a heritage. He has an inheritance. He has the entire Bible, all the books of Scripture, where he reveals himself, he reveals his law, he reveals his nature. Yes, he is love, but he's also wrath and judgment. Yes, he's grace and mercy. 
but he's also all holy, all just. And the Bible is full of places that tell you God will put up with things for a certain amount of time. Paul points that out beautifully in Acts 17 when he talks to the philosophers in Athens. So the priest should be weeping at his at God's heritage, at his inheritance. It shouldn't be a reproach. The priests are the mediator of that. They're the mediators, small m, between God and the people. And by priests, I mean, I'm not just talking about Catholic Orthodox priests. I'm talking about ministers, pastors, Messianic rabbis, whatever, whatever group you're in. They stand between the people and God. This is they are mediators with a small M. Jesus, Yeshua is a mediator with a capital M. But they should be guarding this inheritance and this heritage that we've been given. And so Joel says they should be weeping for this so that the nations don't take them over. Well, I know the music's already playing. Oh, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff in Joel chapter 2, so please reread it for your homework. So thanks for tuning in and come back next week. Gift of Grace where we'll read and teach God's Word and we'll proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. Have an awesome week. A car.